Welcome to Strike Deck Radio, a podcast focused on customer success and the leaders who are implementing best practices in our field. This podcast is brought to you by Strike Deck, a Medallia company. Strike Deck is a customer success automation platform that helps CSMs effectively manage their customer relationships. This podcast is also brought to you by the Success League, a consulting and training firm focused on developing top performing customer success programs. My name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Strike Deck Radio and the founder and CEO of the Success League. Today, I'll be talking with Max Klimek, the global head of customer success for Intercom. Max was a part of the founding customer success team, and we're going to talk about his approach to building the Intercom customer success program to where it is today. Max, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Christine. How's it going? Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. Glad you're here. Max, it looks like you started your career in IT. How did you land in customer success? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I probably actually started my career in gardening or something back in the day. But yeah, I managed to find my way into IT. Uh, the funny story behind that is I was, wasn't very uh, at, uh, kind of good in school. Um, but it was something that was consistent throughout my whole life was my dad was a designer and he was always on a computer designing. And that led to me being very good at video games uh, and constantly being on a computer. Um, so through school, I was kind of doing this and that, and I didn't really have any passion. So when we were going to pick what college courses I wanted to go to, my dad said, hey, you should try a computer science. Uh, you seem to be really interested in computers. I was like, I have no idea what that is. I don't really care about school. I don't really want to go to college, but sure, put it down. Um, lo and behold, I did all my exams, uh, and I ended up in a computer science degree, not knowing what the hell it was or what I was about to do. But I uh, ended up going into college and absolutely loving it. That's um, great. So started out in a computer science degree where it was actually like pretty hardcore coding um, and development. And there was a kind of pathway where you could pick where you could go to actually IT management, which was more of like systems management, but also then like half the course was all about like human resource management, uh, accounting, finance, marketing. And okay. so I went down that route. And then during the time there, uh, we had the opportunity to do internships. Um, and during that time, I got to do two internships in my summers. So on my summers, while my girlfriend was going traveling and all my friends were going traveling, I actually worked for free doing internships. Um, and that's where I got the real first taste of actually like work life in IT um, and actually loved it, like surprising enough, but started in support. So I was supporting in, in different companies, uh, acting as like a support agent, helping people. And um, after that, uh, I ended up in SAP which is uh, maybe, as you know, like a very large enterprise company, uh, landed like a role. Again, didn't really know what I was getting myself into, didn't really know what SAP was, uh, saw the salary as like a college grad and was like, oh my God, I've got to work here. Um, again, turned it to something that I absolutely loved. Um, but the part about SAP that was interesting is we were working in support, but with SAP, because it's so big, their support engineers are actually like consultants. Uh, so they're not really going in to solve like technically like going deep down into the code and trying to solve problems. You basically what we were doing was de-escalating very large issues for enterprise co companies. So within like six months, I was flown out to MDC uh, to go on site with the customer. Um, and basically what we were there to do is just calm them down, consult with them and try and get a resolution to their problem. Um, but that's where I really got the taste for kind of consultative work. Um, and the one thing that I realized during that time is I didn't really like being under the pressure of 
uh, getting to a situation where it had already blown up. Yeah. It had already happened. Um, I really liked the kind of consultative approach where we had kind of solved the issue and then we started consulting with them about their strategy for the future and how to get more value from the product. Um, so when I left SAP, uh, a role popped a very, a, quite a while after. I, a lot of things happened in the middle. I went traveling. I started my own company. Um, but one of the things I said to myself was like, if there was ever a role where you could work with a customer where like everything hadn't hit the fan yet, it was like you got to them early and you were able to help them and consult with them and, and try and help them get as much value from the product or whatever product you were selling them. That would be a dream role for me. Um, so that's how ah, I kind of landed in okay. customer success. Yeah, I didn't, yeah. Really, didn't really think about it as customer success. I just thought about it as a dream role. Um, and it kind of happened also with like customer success in like in brackets there, kind of happened by mistake. So um, there was a company called Intercom, uh, which I work for right now still. Yeah. Um, in Dublin, though, uh, if you were in Dublin at the time when they were really coming up um, about six years ago, uh, this was like the hot property in Dublin for me because I was yeah. like, here's four Irish founders who are absolutely killing it. You would always hear about founders, like, but they would always be like Elon Musk or you know Steve Jobs, and they're always US. So for uh -huh. me, it was like, oh, there's, there's four Irish guys doing this stuff. This is crazy. Um, and their product was also incredible. Um, uh -huh. So when I saw the job go up in Intercom, it was actually an onboarding specialist, uh, an education okay. specialist for Intercom. So it was a perfect pair. Like everything aligned for me. It was like the, the most amazing company that I could have ever worked for, um, but also the perfect role. So at the time, I'd actually been running a company myself uh, for quite a while. Wasn't making any money, as probably a lot of founders know, very stressful. And um, my girlfriend had enough and she was like, we, you need to get a job. Like we need to live our lives. Um, and I was like, well, the only, the only place I'm ever going to work for is Intercom. Uh, and then that role popped up and I just put all my eggs in one basket. <laughs> and here I am today, four years on. That's perfect. Um, I think most of our audience is probably pretty familiar with Intercom, but for those who aren't, can you tell us a little bit more about the company's mission? Uh, sure. Yeah. So the mission at Intercom is to make internet business personal. And that's one of the reasons I actually joined was uh, when I was in SAP, the communication between customer and business. So business being SAP um, mm -hmm. was actually at the fault to a lot of those problems that I was flown on site to. So I'd be flown on site, someone would be pulling their hair out. And when you really <laughs> got down to it, they were just really pissed off because no one had really talked to them properly. And yeah. every time that they were passed on to a different team where it got an escalated, they would ask them the same questions over and over again. And, and when yeah. I first saw Intercom, I was like, their mission makes so much sense to me. Like, I don't like getting spammed. I really like a personal experience online. Um, and it really resonated with me as well because of what I had come from in SAP, uh, mm -hmm. where things had broken down, like to a, to a level where like you were flying people on site to solve their problem because communication had broken down. And um, so Intercom's mission is to make internet business personal, which is what I was super bought in by. But to do that, like we, we've built or they started building at the back, back in the day and to this day now, it, what we call a conversational relationship platform. Because okay. at, the, at the end of the day, like when you think about communicating with your family, say, or your friends, mm -hmm. like the bedrock of that communication is, is really conversations. Like you don't, you don't start a ticket with your, your mom to see how a weekend went. You're not like, hey, I want to create the ticket. You need my email address, my account number, all these things. And it's kind of like an, it's like an asynchronous flow, right? You're, you're just mm -hmm. constantly having a conversation. And that relationship that you have and those conversations get richer over time based on the data in your brain, which is your memory of all the like memories you've had with that person, which is your relationship. 
So the reason we we built that is because we we fundamentally believe that relationships are really built on conversations between humans. Um, mm-hmm. And when we talk about like making internet business personal, um, we believe that like the the experience online is not the same as what you would have with your friends and family. It like from back in the day where contact forms were the norm, still are for a lot of uh, industries. Um, mm-hmm. We think that's that's something that's that's not great for the internet. And with all businesses probably be, be becoming internet businesses, we feel that our mission is really something that will help the world um, because we want to make the experience online for customers and businesses um, a great one. And I think we, we believe anyway that's done through a conversational relationship platform. That's great. I know today we're going to talk about how you built your customer success program at Intercom. Um, before we get into the details of that, can you give us a little context? How is your team structured today? Uh, yes. So I actually, we're, we're going through a big change at the moment. So our, our team okay. will be growing, so it'll be changed. But I'll give, you, I'll give you the rundown of what it looks like now. So yeah, that'd be great. At the core of it, like our team also has a mission. So our mission uh, as a company is to make internet business personal. But our team's mission is to make Intercom's most important customers make internet business personal. So w- okay. we work with Intercom's most important customers. And our team is kind of, how would you say, maybe like kind of like a SWAT team. Uh, there's there's quite a few there's quite few of us, but we're really focused on really high impact work. Um, okay. And at the moment, our team is set up with one role. So there's the CSM role. Um, okay. And we work alongside sales, so we're part of the sales organization. And um, okay. there's nine people in the team at the moment. Well, ten including me. There's nine people in the team spread across three regions. So there's three in EMEA, uh, there's okay. five in the US, and there's one in APAC. But okay. as of this year, um, we will be growing that team quite significantly. Oh, that's exciting. Um, do you do you cover a lot of different languages then since you have such a global reach? We don't right now, but that is okay. actually one of the priorities for this year. So yeah, what, oh, okay. what we're trying to do in EMEA, uh, which is happening next quarter or this quarter, actually, we're already uh-huh. in the Q1, um, is we're going to start doing territories for regions. Um, okay. And that's probably bringing on the advent for us is to start really hiring for languages now and um, mm-hmm. to, to hire maybe for like French, German speakers, uh, I think will be the priority to start. But yeah, mm-hmm. later down the line, we, we'll see EMEA becoming like a hub that is separated into regions versus just uh, segments. Yeah, I think we have a couple of clients that are setting up similarly and um, APAC is another area where language support is really important too. I would imagine you guys will be tackling that after you've <laughs> work on EMEA. Absolutely. It takes a little while to build all of that up, but yeah. Yeah. It's great. APAC is is one of the smaller regions for us, but yeah. it's growing like crazy. So yeah. I'm, I'm assuming later down the line, we're definitely going to have to look into languages and, and maybe even different offices. But again, I'm not, yeah. I'm not part of the office's decision, but the languages decision will definitely be something we'll have to look into. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so kind of back to the beginning, though, you were one of the founding CSM team members. Back then, how did you know it was time to start growing the team? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. Like when we first, when, when the team was first started, like before I was even hired, what really happened mm-hmm. was Inter- Intercom's like a product first company. So like the founders okay. are all, they're four product people. Uh, well, I mean, engineers but R&D, like they're, they're really into building things. And they fundamentally believe that if you don't have a top class product that's innovating in the market, um, you won't be in the market. You're not going to be successful. 
And that yeah. was true, obviously, because it, it grew like crazy and the, and the product was amazing. And it, it still is today, probably one of the leaders in the market of the conversational space. Like we're the only company right now that has conversational marketing support and engagement mm-hmm. all under in one place, um, which is one of the, I think, the unique selling points to it. Um, but back in the day, what happened was like we had a crazy self-serve business. We had like lots of people signing up. The, the founders had created an incredible brand. Um, and our like content was incredible. So we had a, a really insane inbound funnel. Um, but what started happening was like with most tech companies, you want to hire a sales team because you want to start closing bigger deals and um, getting bigger customers, which a lot of the times fundamentally you have to have someone to talk to. Um, there are a few companies that have done it quite well, like Atlassian and, and others. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, most of the time you're going to need people to talk to, to to close the bigger accounts. So back then they started the sales team and what happened was the sales team didn't really have any support. Like they had no one to help them close the deals uh, with bigger accounts. They were just left to their own devices. So we had a lot of generalists back in the day in the sales team, like people who were pretty well versed in the product, but also in sales. But as they started growing that team out, that's that stopped happening. They started getting people who were really hardcore salespeople that but they weren't really interested in implementing a customer or helping them get set up. So what happened was the salespeople started asking the support engineers for help or the support reps for help. And that started happening a lot. So they basically ended up having like people on the support team whose job was really to answer conversations and, you know, drive CSAT and Mm -hmm. who were spending an inordinate amount of time with the sales folk trying to help them out. So the director of support at the time um, decided that we needed a sales engineer. And again, back in the day when the role was put up was a, an onboarding and a customer onboarding and education specialist um and that was the role i applied for um i don't know if that answered your question kind of yeah that's perfect so i i know you and i have talked in and it looks like you're moving toward having a variety of other roles on the team now too how did you make the decision that it was time to split apart responsibilities instead of having csms do everything Another another great question and, and something that um, I fundamentally really took a look at, I think as a manager growing a team, like one of the easy decisions that we could have had was, was just like, hey, we just got this role, they do everything and it's really great and people people love the team. Um, so let's just hire more of them. Let's just hire more CSMs. Um, but fundamentally, like if in my opinion, if you want to like scale a team, uh, and make the organization like a very high performing, high impact team with a lot of people. And um, I think specialization is, ju- is just a part of that. Um, right. And I think what we decided was uh, based on like feedback from the team. So we, we took a lot of feedback from the team and we also analyzed a lot of activity data. So where the team spending the most amount of time. Um, and what we found was there was, there was kind of three, there was three parts to it. So the first part was onboarding. That was like where the team were spending in an ordinary amount of time. And, and it's also where we wanted them to spend their time. Um, right. The second part was ongoing time. And this is like, you, you know, you've got a really big account and you're going to have like a biweekly or weekly or monthly call with them just to literally talk to them and make sure that everything's okay and, and kind of like calm them down if things get, get hairy or tell them about betas. It's just like the ongoing maintenance of the account. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's the other part because we're, we're part of the sales team. Um, we work on a lot of opportunities. So whether that be renewals, churn saves, or expansion opportunities, uh, we'll, we'll help a lot of the sales team out on those to try and either do demos for them, scope out solutions, uh, run trials. If there's a trial on, we'll try and help the customer get set up so they, they can actually get a proper trial out of the product. Um, 
So those, those are the three pillars, right? onboarding, ongoing, and opportunities. And what we really saw was like the onboarding stuff was really high impact, but it was quite repetitive. Right. Like you have like your most senior CSM who's been at Inchcom for three years um, and he's really, really like skilled and uh, could be do, pr- like solving really big problems for customers. But maybe like a quarter, a third of their week was spent doing the same training pretty much that they had done when they were here for for their first six months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what we were thinking was like, right, these, these, these tasks are really high impact and we will always have to do them. But probably, we're actually probably doing a disservice to our customer because we could be doing them in a better way by just like highly process, process, processing them as in turning right. them into like a really high, well-oiled machine. Um, and we could also then create a funnel of uh, junior CSMs that would actually be able to start doing those trainings and have the bedrock of their skills built on those trainings or those onboardings. Um, so what we decided to do was to create an onboarding team. Um, and we'll, we'll be hiring for that role in, in the next couple of months. Um, but that's how we decided was we saw an inordinate amount of time being spent there. Um, but really when we analyzed what the tasks that they were doing was they were high frequency, but low complexity. Um, yeah. So they were, they were sucking up a lot of time, but they weren't really challenging the CSM and we were getting that feedback from them anyway. Um, but we had like a good, good feeling that that was the case. Yeah. So ripe for streamlining. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then the other role is what we're creating is what I've seen it around the industry. I, I, again, like CSM is so new. So this, this role is also fair. I, I don't know if much people are doing it the way we're going to do it. I've chatted to a few uh, teams, but it's, we're going to call it a technical success manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was born out of the sales engineering role. Uh, at Intercom being kind of like at capacity with new business. So sales engineers like traditionally work with, you know, AEs closing new lo- new logos. They close mm-hmm. new business. Um, but fundamentally, again, like the existing accounts that we have were looking for help. They expected help in a technical manner from someone. And what was happening was we were pulling in the sales engineers to give us that help, whether to be like work on deals or during implementations. Um, and what we found was like, if we had someone on the CSM team who had the same kind of like goal to be like a, tr- you know, a, tr- a buzzword here, trusted advisor, um, mm-hmm. but to the customer's development team, we, we actually felt like that was one of the biggest blockers for the CSM actually driving impact as well. Because you say like, uh, okay, we want to set up this like smart campaign or this series, or we want to set up this like conversational strategy but it really relies on some structural changes on how the customer set up their technical in- integration. And um, if you can get that right and you can consult with people on that, that means our CSMs actually have the freedom to drive more value at the customer so they could actually get more out of Intercom if they had technical help. And that's what we're trying to look to do as well is, is to set up a technical CSM role. Okay, that sounds great. Um, so what is your formula for knowing when it's time to hire your next CSM or other role? on the team um there right now there's not like a scientific form there's not one formula that we have we take okay. in a lot of a lot of inputs and um, I, I wish we did have a formula uh, i wish it was as easy as sales like sales just say like we're, we need to add net new revenue of this amount and we can get this much from one salesperson so let's add another salesperson and um, with us it's a bit harder so what we've gone through is a big exercise of analyzing data um based on activity for one so how many calls are being logged uh, with customers mm-hmm. every week? Um, and, you know, you can do that based on like 
uh, productive capacity like how much time does someone actually have in a week to actually take those calls and and when we get to a certain threshold we're like okay they're 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 pretty slammed uh with those with that much calls and then you start adding on the amount of accounts that they have as well and um, mm-hmm. so for us what we do with the premium package at intercom and um, based on your spend uh we will offer different services right so if you're if you're on the highest spend we'll offer you pretty much a certain amount of hours now it's not like professional services it's more of just like a guideline. Um, but what we did was we actually started analyzing, okay, um, CSMX has um, this amount of tier one accounts. And if we were to actually give them the service that we we think as a team internally, we should be giving them, um, how much time would they need in a month or a week to do that? And what we yeah. found was doing some of the analysis was some of the CSMs were, were like, they were a bit oversubscribed. So they yeah. actually, if they wanted to, uh, do that they couldn't actually give as much time because they, they actually wouldn't have enough time in the month to actually do what we set out for them to do and those yeah. like kind of three main indicators along with ORM headcount growth and just like projected account growth um, was our kind of like uh, formula I suppose see you do have a formula <laughs> Somewhat, yeah, it's yeah. actually it's a, a really good one. formula <laughs> it's very messy yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's that's it. That's how we coach people to do it. Um, is that cool. kind of bottom up analysis on, you know, what what is the journey that you're expecting them to deliver to your customers, and can they ac- actually do it with the number of customers they're working with? And often the the thing that you'll find is no, they can't. They're overloaded. But then at least you have some math behind that, mm. and you can justify then the cost of hiring additional people to your um finance team Absolutely, which is always yeah. a lot of fun it, was, um, it, it took a bit of convincing but it, uh, yeah. it worked and I think the one big thing that we kind of let out was like the onboarding specialist role we think that will be like a huge value add for not only yeah. the customers but for the team because they'll be able to get through more onboarding still be able to get through the more efficiently um, and yep. that will free up the CSM team to really become those consultants where they, they're a bit dynamic they can flow through accounts and actually try and find opportunities to help customers versus a lot of the times these days while while every csm in the world is probably aiming to be proactive like we're we're not there yet in that sense um at yeah. all and i think what we want to do is, is try and get to that area where it's like you know blend it's like reactive but also like a bit proactive where we're actually looking for opportunities to help customers yeah and that that's kind of the whole point of customer success is that proactive piece and so the quicker you can get there the better and i think it's easy though to forget that there's an opportunity cost to just like t- taking all the stuff that's coming at you hmm. um, because it's coming at you and it, it feels urgent. Um, and so it's really, I think you're going to see a huge benefit from carving off that onboarding bit and um, really having your team focus on the higher value pieces of the role. It'll Absolutely. be exciting. I mean, we're yeah. all like, I'm really excited about it. But when, when we talk, when you talk to the team, like they're, they're really, really excited about it. Um, That'll be great. Yeah. Before we continue with the rest of the interview, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. If you like Strike Deck Radio, I'd like to introduce you to my new podcast, Reading for Success. Reading for Success is a short weekly podcast where I review books and articles on customer success leadership, break them down for you, and help you figure out whether or not they are worth your time. We will also be featuring author interviews from time to time. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many of the other podcast platforms. I hope you'll join me for Reading for Success. 
And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know I love data. If you want to create a data-driven customer success program, StrikeDeck's Pro Guide to Customer Success is a report based on a preliminary study of 5,600 CS professionals from nearly 600 companies. It highlights the scope of customer success and offers valuable data points to help CS professionals enhance their initiatives. Get access to it now and let data drive your decision making. We'll add the link in the description of this podcast. And now back to today's episode. So Max, what was your initial approach to hiring CSMs and how has that profile shifted over time? Um, another, another really good question. So when we initially started the team, um, back in the day, there was only two of us. So there was one in San Francisco, there was one in EMEA. And okay. What we really did from, from my perspective, when we started hiring past me, um, as in post me, where I was actually involved in the hiring process, um, what we were really looking for was people who were kind of had, um, let's say, an entrepreneurial mindset, mindset, a self-starter. Mm-hmm. Um, the role of a CSM, even of the role that we had onboarding and education specialists, like it's it sounds great, but like it's pretty vague role. Like you you could do anything. Like you you could decide you could decide that you wanted to do a scaled approach. You could decide that you wanted to be like high touch. Um, you could decide that you wanted to create academy. Like you could do anything that you really wanted to to try and help customers. Um, but one of the problems with that freedom is like not not a lot of people thrive in ambiguity. They don't. A lot, not a lot of people thrive in not knowing what the hell is going to come next and having uh-huh. to be the ones to actually make the decision to decide what to do next. So what we originally looked for was people who really were just you know. They were kind of entrepreneurs in their mind. Uh, they were able to like think through problems and they were able to provide examples to us when we were interviewing them of, of times when they'd actually gone off by themselves to try and do something, whether that be like education, they'd gone off and done a master's outside of school, they'd done some charity work or even some people that tried to start businesses. Now, obviously, like people come in and say, oh, I tried to start a business. I don't want to tell them about that because it failed. Um, that is like the that is like the wrong thing. We, we had a few people that, that were like that. Um, and that was a great thing for us. Like you tried something by yourself, you gave it a go. It didn't work out, so who cares? But you're you're still here live today. And um, but the actual act of doing that showed that there's something in your brain that makes you tick when things aren't really um, prescribed to you. They're not right. getting told what to do every day. You know, yeah. That's the people we were really looking for. That's great. Has that changed or are you still looking for that profile? Again, a really interesting question. I'm, I'm like, I'm still kind of torn. We've, we've still tried to hire for that um, uh, the whole way through, but like, I don't know the way I kind of look at it is for me hiring uh, as a manager right now is I'm trying to find leaders. Like no -hmm. no matter what role it it is, I'm going to try and find a leader. Um, And I think leaders are sometimes a lot of the time from what I've seen, people who have that self-starter mindset, um, yeah, people who just want to get busy, they want to try things. They want to like get get involved. They don't need to be told what to do. Um, so like, while I'm not trying to say like leaders leaders don't have to be managers. Like when I'm looking for people um, or hiring people or interviewing, like when you say like so you know what sort of air, where where have you ever demonstrated leadership qualities? A lot of people like jump to oh I mentored and coached someone or you know I uh, I was a manager back in the day in, in this company. That's not. To me, that's not like le- that's not the core leadership thing. It's management and leadership are different things. Um, and I think from what we've seen so far, 
I think my team's rock stars, they're all amazing. Like I really love them. Um, but I think like they all have that entrepreneurial mindset. They're all willing to get, get like roll up their sleeves and get into it um, and not really like be told exactly what to do. And I think, I don't know, uh, but this is what I'm going to go by. I'm never going to say never, but for my foreseeable future in the next while, like I don't see myself not hiring someone who's a self-starter. I just don't see it happening. Um, Cause I yeah. years at heart. It is its own, it is its own mindset. I used to, when I was hiring um, for bigger teams, try to hire people from enterprise rent a car because their um their whole approach to the market is they hire people straight out of college they hire them to run a enterprise rent a car place and so they get all this amazing training and experience around starting a business and um being a self-starter and it has those same kind of characteristics of somebody who um, would go out and start their own business as well. And, and they have to be really a driver and very independent to run one of those places. Now they work them to death and they don't end up sticking around there very long, but those people have been some of the best people I've ever hired. That's a, that's a so. good little tip there. You, you might regret saying that to everyone on this podcast is going to go off and start hiring people from enterprise rent car. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I'm not hiring um, it, a lot at the moment, so go get them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're great hires. No, and even in even in teams that um, that I see anyway, like looking around me, talking to others in other companies, there is a common theme that I see is like the top performers are people who don't need to be told what to do and figure out. The, yeah. the role and solve the problem of their role without you know without much guidance the guidance they want yeah. is coaching they want to get better um but they don't need to be told like oh this is the process you need to follow they'll figure it out themselves and like whatever process you lay out in front of them they're probably going to manipulate that in some way shape or form themselves or they're going to try and make it better and they're going to come back to you and say this process doesn't work we need to fix it and these are the five things that we need to do to fix it and i've consistently seen that throughout all my roles they're they're the people that are always, to me, from what I've seen in my experience, they're always the people that are the most successful. Yeah, I agree. So what is your approach for interviewing candidates for your CS program? Along with that, how do you incorporate the intercom solution into your interviewing process? It's a, re it's a really uh, interesting topic for me. And I think it's it's one that I've invested a lot of time in, in learning about. And I, I think as well, it's 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 a topic, topic of interviewing and hiring. Um, I don't think it has enough focus from managers these days. I think it's. I agree. <laughs> I think it's really important too. So, how do you? How? What's your approach? Yeah. So our approach is is pretty. It's pretty simple. I think at, at the high level, it, it it requires a lot of components. But the the fundamental uh, piece is we test not only for competency but for culture. Um, and I think the culture piece again is is a hard thing to test for, and I don't see a lot of people doing that i think a lot of the times it's, it's based on skill um but fundamentally the first part that we do is we obviously put up a job application uh, a lot of times we also self-source so going on linkedin and, and finding candidates that you're interested in and another part i, I don't see um a lot of effort put in um around the industry i think it's a really valuable thing to do is, is to check around in different companies that you're interested in see what the level of talent is there um, but when we get our candidates into the pipeline, so the first end of the pipeline where they've submitted their applications, myself and the recruiter will go through all pretty much all of the applications, uh, find the ones that we're interested in, and that's kind of when the interview uh, would start. So 
The first part is a video and written test, um, which okay. gets mixed feedback. So there's <laughs> mixed feedback from people. So, um, but the first part is, is, is obviously a written and a video test. And what that is, is, is a five question uh, test. So we basically send you the five questions. And previously it used to be done within a system, but we got rid of that system now. So it's completely done on the fly. We basically just send you the five questions and suggest like some tools that you might be able to use to, to record the answers. So the first kind of like uh, batch questions are our videos. And what we're testing for there is people's interest in intercom. So an example would be one of the questions is, how would you explain intercom to someone with no technical knowledge? Now that's, it's quite a deceiving question in some sense, but for that's us- That's a great question. Yeah, it is, I think it is a great question. And it's, it's a great question for any company, I believe, to ask their potential candidates. And, and what we see is, is that that question is, is slightly deceiving in some ways because you can answer that in, in so many different ways. But when you really yeah. talk to someone with no technical knowledge, we're not talking about a marketer here who doesn't know how to write code. We're talking about someone who has like no technical knowledge whatsoever. Um, and a lot of the times uh, what we're testing for there is their knowledge of Intercom, their passion for Intercom, but their ability to communicate complex problems in a really simple way. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, um, no matter what product you're selling, a lot of the times when you're speaking to customers, they just want to know like the, the layman's terms example or description of your company. And um, right. you get responses back, you'll actually be like, my eyes kind of light up and I always smile when I see some of the responses that come back and they kind of like first off say, well, okay, so someone with no technical knowledge, I'm thinking about my mom, my, my dad or my granddad, um, and I'm going to explain it in that way. And what usually proceeds is this like very elegant, um, simple explanation of what Intercom does. Um, and it's, it's, it's beyond belief uh, that every time you get one of those videos, you know the rest of the test is going to be good. Like you just yeah. know every other answer they're going to give is going to be good. And that has literally stayed through. And I've, believe me, I've recorded, like, uh, not recorded, but I've, I've listened to probably over 200 of these like tests. Oh, wow. That's great. Every single time I get someone who starts it with, I'm, I'm going to think of non-technical as like, you know, again, my, my dad, my granddad, or someone that doesn't know anything about software and they go on and proceed to their description. Yeah, it's, it's been like a consistent thing. The other part is the written questions. Um, so I'll give you a good example of one of those. Um, we're obviously a product focused team at Intercom, the CSM team. Uh, we uh -huh. really make sure that their customers are getting most value out of the product. So one of the questions is, is like, how would you... Uh, or sorry, what, what tool are you a power user of? And why do you describe yourself as a power user of that tool? So it's a really, that's a great one. And another really good question. Um, this is, t it's basically this, the person is self describing their knowledge of what it means to be a power user. Um, and they're really get like the answer doesn't really matter. Like my, I think my answer for that question was Google Chrome. Um, like super power user, you know, every single advanced feature always in the settings, always in like the apps and my like one update or change that I would, or sorry. And the second part of that question is what one change would you make to that product if you were able to make a change? Um, and a lot of the times you'll get people who gave an answer like, oh, I would just update the UI and make it much nicer. Um, but then you see other people that would say, you know, they'll, they'll describe this very advanced feature that doesn't work in the exact way that they need it, but they know if it's changed, it will make a huge amount of value for every other customer. 
Um, and that's what we're kind of looking for, is someone to be able to describe at that level of depth um, why they're a power user of it and what they would change, because it really shows that they understand the fundamentals of product. Um, and ultimately, they understand what our, pro our customers are actually going through when they're trying to use Intercom. Perfect. Max, what do you wish you had known at the beginning in terms of building out your customer success team? What advice do you have for others in early stage organizations? Um, <clears throat> so there's a couple of things that I think I wish I'd known. The first part was uh, the importance of metrics um, as, a, as an organization or as a business and tracking those very early or at least having a set of metrics to track. We didn't do that at the early stages. We kind of just went on gut and, and kind of qualitative uh, okay. data. And so we got feedback from the sales team. Are, is, is everything working? You know, customers, are you enjoying this? Yes. And like everyone was like loving it. They loved our team still to, to, to this day, still uh, want more CSM. But I think fundamentally what that creates is we know everyone sees the value of this team, but we can't quantify it to get more or to actually just prove that this thing is working, um, which ultimately is what a finance team or a leadership team want to see. So I think that's one of the big things. The other part was um, a lot of the times we hire people uh, or we, we see people coming onto the team and they're like, oh, we need to scale this process. And we're like, well, what's the process? And it's like, oh, this new thing that I figured out yesterday. Um, and I think that's a rush that a lot of people have in the early days. It's like, how do we scale this thing? Like, how do we make this automated? Um, and we've spent the last like four years as a small team figuring out all the problems that we have, all the nuances to those problems all the ways the customers think about those problems. And so my advice to people would be like, don't try and scale things immediately, especially with a new organization like customer success. There's, it's yeah. not a sales team. It's not like, okay, we want a sales team. Okay, hire an AE, hire an SDR. Uh, that's like your first move. Then hire a manager. Uh, it's probably going to be that AE that you hired because they want to like start a new team. And then you're going to build out that SDR team and maybe hire another AE. Okay, now we've got a load of customers. We're going to hire some account managers or some people to work on the post-sale stuff. Like it's, it, there's not like a, there's not like a playbook like that for CSM. And um, so that's even more important to CSM is to really do things that don't scale. It's like a, a, a term coined by the founder of Y Combinator. And um, you don't know what you're trying to solve for. So don't try and scale it immediately. Like really right. <laughs> what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, last question. What do you see as the biggest trend in customer success today and why? Um, I think like even outside of customer success, I think like one thing that's happening that I see is that all businesses are becoming internet businesses. Um, and just like energy and uh, utilities, um, what's differentiating companies more and more is not their product. Although that's still like a big piece of the pie is like you need to have a great product to actually survive. Um, but one thing I think is happening is like, it's becoming like the power industry where things are almost like commodities. Prices are almost like the same. I think a really good example of this is project management tools. Like how many project management tools are out there in the world today? There's hundreds of them. They all pretty much do the same thing. Um, but what's making people win in those industries or those categories is A, brand, but B, really good, strong customer relationships. So if you yeah. can deliver like a level of service to a customer, that is way far beyond what your competitors are, are built or are offering. And you're going to win in this kind of commodity world. Even if you think of Intercom, like we 
um, are put in a bracket of live chat, which I think is, is not correct. But like, if you think of just looking at that, when someone is looking for a live chat tool, they're going to see Intercom next to like 200 other uh, competitors. And I think that's where um, the world is going is there's going to be a lot of competitors in the space and products will become hard to differentiate um, in these spaces that are kind of like stable. And I think really fundamentally what it is, is that you're going to have to differentiate with the service that you provide to customers. And I think that for a software business or a SaaS world, um, come, I believe per personally comes through amazing customer support and amazing customer success because you need people that are there to really show the customer the way of the complex products that you're building. That's great. I, I absolutely agree with you. Max, thanks so much for being part of our podcast today and sharing your approach to growing the Intercom CS organization. I know our audience really appreciated your advice and willingness to share what you've learned over the past four years. So thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it and uh, really enjoyed the conversation that we've had. Me too. I also want to thank our sponsors, Strike Deck and the Success League. To learn more about Strike Deck, you can visit strikedeck.com and follow Strike Deck on LinkedIn or at Strike Deck on Twitter. To find out more about the Success League, please visit our website, thesuccessleague.io, and follow the Success League on LinkedIn or at TSL Customers on Twitter. To get all of the latest episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere else you get your podcasts. And finally, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.